Hey, everybody, love talking about my friends at Steel. That's S-T-I-H-L, SteelUSA.com. You see all of their products, SteelDealers.com. You find their locations around the country. There's more than 10,000, so there's one right around the corner. Order your product, and you can have it picked up, you know, days later and get going. By the way, now's a wonderful time. Spring is not that far away to do some shopping because they have a lot of deals going. They have uh, money-saving deals on trimmers, on blowers, on mowers. And I came across one and it it struck a chord with me because I was on one of these at their warehouse about a year or so ago. And that is the zero turn mower. 0% financing available currently on the zero-turn mowers. So I'm driving around their warehouse on the zero-turn mower, uh, pretending that I'm cutting a lawn. I cannot tell you how cool that thing was. It was remarkable. Really neat stuff. So as you know, Steel always has deals going. They have the best products on the market. Check them out right now. S-T-I-H-L, SteelUSA.com, SteelDealers.com. It's February. Springer's around the corner. You're going to save money. Go see them today. This week on the Drew Goodman Podcast, part two of Drew's conversation with Mark Schlereth, how to be a gentleman on social media. If you think you can mix it up with me on social media, that's like an extension of locker room to me. You better come strong because I'll make you cry. Also, more football. Man, you got to have balls to play this game because the bottom line is you're going to get your ass kicked and you're going to get it kicked in front of people. Plus, Stink talks about Sean Payton. One thing I really respect about Sean, he's hard and he coaches is hard, but he loves his players. Plus, a rocky spring training preview you can only get on the Drew Goodman Podcast. It comes to a merciful end. Go ahead, Joker. Get one up. It's a dunk. Dunk contest. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome in, everybody. Glad you're along. Yeah, what a wonderful NBA All-Star game that was. 200 and some odd points to 180 some odd points. I'll be honest. I kind of do this now on an annual basis. I rip all the all-star games other than the Major League All-Star game. And I, and it's not because I work in Major League Baseball primarily. It's just that's the reality of where we are with all-star games. They all suck other than the MLB one because the MLB game at least replicates real competition. I like the skill stuff. I enjoyed some of the skill stuff at the Pro Bowl. They finally came to the revelation that you cannot play a football game that does not count when all these guys are going into the offseason. They can't risk injury. It just makes sense. It's okay. It's okay. We don't have to play an all-star football game. We can watch a skills competition and, and continue to be innovative in that regard you have the the mannings who are are fun and so you play a flag football game and that was entertaining that was far more watchable than the nba all-star game and i know back in the day they actually competed in the all-star game guys got after it they played defense there were fouls called i think i heard or read where there were three fouls called in the nba all-star game this year and again i understand no one wants to get hurt in a game that does not count But I would counter a little bit with saying that when you practice, especially when there's a couple of days off between games and you're scrimmaging 
48 hours before your next game. Guys are going a little bit harder, certainly harder, than what we see um, in the NBA All-Star game. I tried to watch for about 10 minutes, and I was like, this is a joke. It's an absolute joke. So I, I, I don't need to watch it. I did get a kick out of, I didn't see it live, but I watched the highlights of Steph and Eskew, and that was great theater, man. Great competition. It's awesome. That was fun. Saw the highlight of, of Max McClung, you know, with, with again, winning the dunk contest. Okay. I mean, the dunk contest, obviously, every year we say needs to be spiced up. It used to be a big deal, less so. But I've, I have no problem with that. Just like the NHL All-Star game. I enjoyed some of the skill stuff. They don't play defense. Nobody's going to check anybody, obviously, in, in a especially in a three-on-three hockey affair. Um, that I find a little more interesting because you can see the speed of the great players like a Nathan McKinnon, like a Connor McDavid. I, I think in the NBA always tries to be on the cutting edge, but I think if you're Adam Silver, it's like go back to the drawing board, playing four 12-minute quarters of watching a dunk contest or guys pull up from half court. I mean, that's a joke. That's a joke. Anyhow, we move on. I do that annually. Where the 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 big four sports, three all star games no longer work. One still does in Major League Baseball. At least it's uh, you know it's watchable. Rick Pitino, come on man, what are you thinking? Rick Pitino is a legendary basketball coach, especially at the collegiate level. Less so in the NBA, but great college basketball coach, no denying that. And like all coaches, they have their methods. And on one hand, when Rick, when Rick went off on his St. John's team, that, oh, by the way, started 12-2 and two this year. So I don't think he didn't like them early in the season when they were knocking off Villanova and playing really good basketball. All of a sudden, he didn't like them very much because I think they've lost 8 out of 10. And now they don't move laterally. And he spoke about individuals who can't move laterally. I mean, he went like right down his roster. And, oh, by the way, my facilities suck here at St. John's. Well, you know, you didn't have to leave Iona. Again, I'm going back on one hand. You go, hey, I appreciate his candor. As opposed to just falling into coaches speak, we have to be better. I have to coach better. You know, we have to be mentally tougher. Um, But he did throw guys under the bus. And I'm not, I don't believe in you have to, delicately deal with 18, 19, 20, 21-year-olds. After all, we're in the age of NIL. They're getting paid. And they can bounce around from program to program. I have a UNLV and, and Air Force later on tonight on FS1. And I'm looking at the UNLV roster, and, and half their roster came from somewhere else. Oklahoma State, Hawaii, University of Pacific. That's the age, as we know, we live in, especially when it comes to college football and uh, college basketball. Going back to Rick Pitino, there's something unsavory about ripping individuals. They really don't do it at the professional level. They do it kind of collectively. We need to play harder. We need to play better defense. We need to move our feet better defensively. We need to make better decisions offensively late in games. Some of that falls on me and some of that falls on our decision makers. But when you point to guys and say, yeah, Jones can't move laterally. Smith 
Look at him. Doesn't move laterally. Laterally. Uh, Phillips, you know, he needs to be stronger. Not strong enough. He like went down his roster. I'm making up the names right now, but he did. He mentioned it individually. And not necessary. Again, he wasn't complaining when they got off to the fabulous start in, you know, November and December. That's my take on uh, Rick Bettino. Joe Parker out as AD at Colorado State. Thought that one was fascinating, especially the timing. Here you are weeks before March Madness, and clearly Colorado State's men's team will be involved in March Madness. Nico Medved, uh, another really good team. Last year they were down a little bit. Two years ago they had the great team with Isaiah Stevens, who's still there, and David Roddy, who became a a first-round pick of Memphis. He's now with Phoenix. And they were a sixth seed. Unfortunately, they blew a 15-point lead and lost to Michigan in round one of the tournament. Uh, But he's got a great coach in Nico Medved. Uh, But Colorado State, it's all about football. And Colorado State has aspired to be among the Power Five. And you know there's going to be a change coming in the not-too-distant future again with conferences. As long as the television one, as soon as a, a conference has their television rights up for bid, then there can be movement. In Colorado State, they can win a multitude of championships and be well thought of in all the Olympic sports. They have a really good volleyball program and their softball programs on the rise and and all those other things. But there's only two sports that matter. With all due respect to all the other college athletes, I have college baseball players uh, among my kids, right? And outside of LSU and Arkansas and a handful of uh, collegiate baseball programs that do make some money, most do not. Most Olympic sports don't make money. Maybe Nebraska volleyball, women's side, makes some money because they sell out in Lincoln. But we know what it's about. It's about men's college basketball on one level, and then the, the, the number one thing is football, right? And that is the part of the equation that Colorado State has not gotten right. Now, I'm among the many, I think— that believe Colorado State did the absolute right thing in building Canvas Stadium. They needed an on-campus facility. They needed an updated facility. They needed a state-of-the-art facility. They have that. They have it not just from a, a game day experience, but they have it in their football complex, which if you want to play with the big boys, you have to have. I've done many games at the University of Nevada. It's one of the reasons they were able to lure Jay Norvell, who did a really good job at Nevada with next to nothing from a facility standpoint. I mean, their facilities at Nevada would be laughed at by the major high school programs in the state of Texas. You go to Allen, Texas, or McKinney High School in Texas, and you look at their stadiums, and they're better, no question. I'm not, this is not hyperbole. They are better than what... Nevada plays at. So Jay Norvell came to Fort Collins. They can pay him better, and he has these great facilities. He's going into year three. He's got to win now because they've made a change with AD. And Amy Parsons, the new president, who I didn't know a lot about, she evidently realizes that Joe Parker did not have the vision to get them to the next level. And not to throw somebody under the bus who, who just got relieved of their job, but the debacle with having Urban Meyer basically run your football search a couple of uh, 
cycles ago when they came up with Steve Adazio, one of his buddies, wink, wink, who had just gotten fired by Boston College. And we know how that thing turned out. I'm still a believer in Jay Norvell, but they have to win. And evidently, Amy Parsons and and the folks that she listens to up there believe the same thing because I, I love Colorado State University and, and I want to see them kick ass and I'd like to see them make that next step when the next step is available to get into a major conference and maybe it's now what's left of the Pac-12 and who knows how it'll be reconfigured. Um, but the only way that happens, you and I both know, is for the football program to be good. And I don't mean they win six games and they go to a who gives a damn bowl game or they win seven games. They need to start to be dominant and it has to happen next year. They need to win rivalry games, Colorado, Wyoming, Air Force. Not that you're going to win those games, you know, every year, but damn, they haven't won any of them in forever. So I thought that was fascinating that here on the cusp of March Madness, where where your number one program right now playing is in a great position. They're in the top 25 in the nation. They've been in the top 25 for most of this year. And they fired, you know, I know they said they moved him out, but they fired Joe Parker. Stay tuned up there. All right, transitioning to baseball. That's right. We're kind of in that, that time frame where focus turns to Florida and specifically for Rockies fans to Arizona. And spring training is going to be in, in full swing. In fact, on Friday is game one of the spring training schedule, and we will televise that. Oh, television. That's right. I get this question, understandably, you know, everywhere I go and on social media. It's a whole new world. And, and television, sports television, uh, especially on the local regional level, has changed dramatically. And we're all kind of navigating it. So what I can tell you right now, yes, there is, there's a streaming option, which was announced by the club, I think it was about a week ago. And so you can buy for $20 a month or for the whole season, I believe it's $100 in stream anywhere. There's no blackouts, which is such a great thing. In terms of the linear side, also, by the way, you can get the games in spring training. We're going to do five of them starting on Friday against Arizona uh, on Rockies TV, Rockies.tv. They'll be available um, free of charge there. On the linear side, in other words, the cable systems and having a channel where you can get it on your provider, whether it be Comcast or DirecTV or, or Cox, um, that is still in the works. And an announcement, I've been told, will be forthcoming at some point in the next few weeks, You know, hopefully mid-March, somewhere in there, uh, because they're still negotiating those things. And again, the Rockies are not alone. This is a, a whole new world from a baseball stand for, standpoint for, you know, 20 plus teams. So stay tuned on that. But I want to talk uh, baseball a little bit. And this year, and in spring training, you're going to hear a lot about it when you, when you watch the broadcast. Um, you're going to he- read a lot about it. 
the young players, the next generation. It's not just the guys that arrived last year, most notably Nolan Jones, Gold Glover in center, Brenton Doyle, who has to hit more. We know that. Terrific young shortstop in Ezekiel Tovar, who set a rookie major league record for fielding percentage, by the way, at shortstop. And also threw out 15 home runs and and got better and better offensively. Love that kid. But they need help, right? They lost 103 games. Keep your eye on guys like Jordan Beck, Yankeel Fernandez, Adele Amador, Sterling Thompson, Zach Veen, Benny Thompson. They're all in camp. They're all going to get spring training at bats. And then most of those guys will disperse to double A, maybe triple A, and they're not far away. And I'm telling you, I'm going to spend a lot of time talking about those guys and their development. Because for the Rockies to get good again, they need several of those aforementioned guys and others to really be impactful uh, big leaguers. So that's that's where the focus for me is going to be in March and really as this season um, unfolds. A couple of pitchers to keep your... Uh, your eye on Carson Palmquist, who if you if you're able to catch a game on Friday against Arizona, Palmquist as of now is scheduled to throw a couple of innings. A young left-hander who I remember talking to a couple of people last spring training, whose opinions I respect, and they think this guy has there, there's something to him as a, as a starting pitcher. So Carson Palmquist, Jaden Hill's a, a young guy that's battled a lot of injuries throughout his uh, baseball career, going back to his days at LSU. The Rockies had hoped he was going to be a starter. Right now, they're kind of converting him to a bullpen guy. Big arm, really good changeup. So I'm looking forward to seeing Jaden Hill uh, this spring as well. And um, I'll give you another name of a guy that uh, I'm, I'm looking, a couple of names that I'm looking forward to seeing what kind of progress they make. Peter Lambert, he had Tommy John. He pitched really well late last year. Pitched really well late last year, and I think it's um, it's going to be of paramount importance for the Rockies to get better. We know they have to pitch a lot better, and they need some good stories. Could Peter Lambert be a good story? I'm not saying he becomes Zach Gallen, but what if he becomes a solid middle-of-the-rotation guy? Because the stuff is there, and man, the makeup's there. He is a, he's a tough guy. Another guy that I'm really intrigued by is Ryan Feltner. Now, Ryan has a big arm, Ohio State product, in a scary moment last year when he got hit in the head by uh, Castellanos' line drive, and he missed a good portion of the year. And then he came back late in the year, and he threw five shutout innings against a really good San Diego Padre uh, lineup. Feltner is a power guy, and the Rockies don't have a ton of power guys at the big league level right now but he can throw the ball in the upper 90s and he's gonna as opposed to be more of a sinker slider guy even though he had a big arm he's transitioning where he's going to throw more four seamers and I'm really looking forward to seeing um, his evolution still a young pitcher in terms of big league experience so those those are two of the guys that you know and have been around that I think can make strides this year and hopefully make strides because if they can make significant strides it's certainly going to help the uh the one loss column so those are a couple of stories i'm following again we'll be on friday night look forward to that and uh we're, we're going to transition to baseball um because hey we're on the cusp of march we're still talking football though because football's a year-round uh avocation 
right? For all of us. And uh, this week is part two of my conversation with uh, good buddy Mark Schlereth on a number of topics. And uh, one of the areas we get into is the social media cesspool and how Stink navigates it. Because I love how he does it. I have to bite my tongue a lot, but uh, not Stink. Here's part two with Mark Schlereth. Hey, you know what? One of the reasons... uh one of the many reasons I admire you, and you do something that my boys have always kind of uh, put the governor on me when I tell them I may fire back at um, at social media jackasses. Um, you are not afraid to engage at times. I always love the ones, by the way, and I've I've mentioned this to you before. the 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 guy that will criticize you for first of all your needle in a haystack you played in the nfl if you're a professional athlete you're a needle in a haystack that's number one number two you won three damn world championships you were among the best at your position for a long period of time in the nfl yet there's always going to be the crack pot in his mom's basement that's going to tell you your horseshit and you're not afraid to counterpunch i want to I, you know how, how, you know me pretty well. I mean, in my DNA, I'm frothing at the mouth, but I don't. But you're not afraid to, and I love that. Yeah, you know what? I'll get myself in trouble occasionally, but I I always look at that as like an extension of the locker room. And you know how a locker room, I mean, you spent a lot of time in a locker room. You still do with the Rockies. You know how locker rooms work. I mean... You walk into a locker room, it's kill or be killed. You better be on the offensive right off the bat. And if you think it was bad in the National Football League, you should have been with my college buddies. My college buddies will eviscerate you in a heartbeat. And you have got to be on your toes at all times with those guys. So I've got a lifetime of, you know, that jocularity and, and that back and forth and that kill or be killed. So I like, I'm always laughing. Like if you think you can mix it up with me on social media, that's like an extension of locker room to me. You better come strong because I will, I'll make you cry. Like it won't. And there's no, like for me, that doesn't, that doesn't bother me at all. So yeah, I just, I've enjoyed it. And, and you know, I, it's not that I do it all the time, but sometimes I'm sitting, you know, I'm delayed in the airport or whatever. And I, I'm getting, you know, the people on, on Twitter, you know, that are like, oh, you're terrible. You know, you're a terrible broadcaster. You were so biased. I got that a bunch with Philadelphia fans this year because, get this, the Philadelphia radio station that is the home of the Eagles called me biased doing a game. You know, pot, let me introduce you to Kettle. Like, that's all you guys do is, you know, is kiss the ass of the Philadelphia Eagles. So, um, yeah, how'd that work out, by the way? How'd, How'd my analysis turn out? when they went on a six-game skit or whatever. I think I was pretty on top of what they were. So, anyhow, it's just as funny to me, and I enjoy it. And like I said, it's like an extension of the locker room for me. So it's one of those things that I like to mix it up occasionally. Yeah. And, and by the way, for the people out there, at the end of the day, or at the beginning of the day, 
you could give a rat's ass who wins the game between Philadelphia and New York, Washington, and Dallas. You're there to do a job, and in and, and doing what you do, you're, you're doing a regional or national broadcast, and guess what? You're trying to you're analyzing what is going, what is transpiring, and what you've learned during the week in your prep leading up to it. You could give a rat's ass who wins. You're not playing anymore. Here, here's the here's the crazy thing about that particular game that I'm talking about. So, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of crews that just do it over Zoom. They do their production meetings over Zoom, and we were it was in Washington, so I went up to the Washington facility. On Friday, went to practice, saw the whole thing. By the way, I eviscerated their offense a week earlier. So I got some side eye from the offensive lineman and from the offensive line coach. And we had a conversation on the sideline while I was at practice. I'm like, play better. You want me to, you, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. You guys have been awful. And, and, and the offensive scheme, I think it's been awful. And so, you know, I met with Eric Vienna, man. That was, you know, several people and, and like, hey man, it's it's not. I'm not making it up. I'm watching the film. I can back it up. On top of that, Philly wasn't getting in till late on Saturday. So what did we do? We grabbed the train, spent our own money, trained up to Philadelphia, watched practice, had our meetings in person, jumped back on the train, went back down to Washington D.C., sat in our meeting room. And put together our, you know, our pregame production meeting. So, you know, we all spent myself, my producer, my director, and uh, and our sideline person all spent our own money to run up to Philadelphia. We spent the day up there, and it was really cool. You should name one other broadcast crew that would have done that. Yeah. And I demand that we go to practice. I demand that on Saturdays we get in the car and we drive to the, the hotel and meet with those staff in person. Because it's important to me, and I believe that that's the way you should do it. And so, you know, it's just – it's one of those things. So I don't want to hear about how biased I am. I'm only rooting for a good game. Like, I'm rooting for me, not a team. I'm rooting for me that it's a great game, that we have something exciting to talk about. What? Yeah, 1,000%. And and I tell people when they ask, you know, how did, what's your day look like, you know, f- during a, you know, during the season for baseball? And I say, all the haze in the barn, I, with all the different websites and, and other information research tools that it sent to me, when I go to the yard, I've, I've got all that stuff written down and, and, you know, volumes and notes, et cetera. And then the most important element of that, of my day in preparing for first pitch at 710 or 640 here in Denver is, is visiting with guys like yourself who play around the batting cage, coaches, managers, the opposition. And it was the same way when I do football and you, you know, you've done a million games is those meetings with head coach coordinators and you know quarterback you know star you know free safety that's the stuff that is so invaluable and that's why i hate zoom calls and i know because of the pandemic we went to that i'll tell you a quick one and and you'll laugh at this i remember doing a belichick game when he was with cleveland so this is before belichick was belichick and he's the only guy, Stink, 
I've ever dealt with in a, in a, co- in a football coach's meeting, you know, it's in a fancy, you know, boardroom type of thing. And, and most guys, you know, sitting around the table and usually there's a trust factor. He stood up the entire time and he had his arms folded and he was pacing and he was giving like the, I mean, just a modicum of information. It wasn't, you know, he was, but he's the only guy that I've ever seen in those meetings that didn't sit down and, and didn't, you know, truly engage because they understand you're there to do a job. It's kind of like what you said earlier when you had, you know, a late drink with Mike Shanahan and he said, Hey, here's a, here's the first, you know, here's a script for the 49ers. It's to make the broadcast and thusly the people watching at home, they get an enhanced version because you've ISOed, you know, whoever the wideout is who came in and threw the football. And then you can go, yeah, he was a great high school quarterback in Dallas. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. It is, uh, it's just the, the integrity of it. And I just want to celebrate the game. And so, you know, I'm going to, I'm I, regardless of who's, whoever's playing well is going to get celebrated. The other thing that I tend to try not to do is have revisionist history. So I'll see this all the time. Like the quarterback makes this throw and he throws it. And, you know, it's, maybe it's the first read in the progression. He throws it incomplete. Yeah. I really thought he was going to go down over here and watch this guy come open late. Well, by that time he's already made the decision. So I don't want to, you know, it's not about revisionist history for me. And it's about, Celebrating the great plays as opposed to dog cussing the guy who gave up the touchdown. Hey man, I've given up the sack. I know how I feel. I don't need to be piled on. And so it's about praising the pass rusher for what an unbelievable job he did more than it is about dog cussing the offensive lineman for taking a bad set. You know, and so yeah, I, I just tend to I just tend to want to celebrate the game that I love and if your team happens to not be the team that's playing well, then tough crap. I don't, uh, that's not my concern. Um, I'm just trying to, again, call the game that is in front of me. And so, um, I, I think the other thing that's really interesting is, and, you know, it's been one of these things that I've talked about in, in regards to doing studio stuff is like guys like me, every week I talk to two head coaches, two offensive play callers, two defensive play callers two quarterbacks, two tournament defensive players. And then on the field on Sunday, I talked to a dozen other players and coaches. And I try to take that stuff into the broadcast booth because that stuff to me is fun. And that's where you build the relationship and where guys end up trusting you and giving you some really cool just tidbits, just nuggets of information of what they're trying to do what concerns them about a player, what concerns them about a scheme, what they want to take advantage of. And that stuff to me is the intriguing stuff. So I always laugh when people on social media say, oh, the game's passed you by. <laughs> you don't understand it. So all I do is study the game. And all they do is talk to coaches that are coaching it and players that are playing. Yeah, that's a, but that's such a cop-out line. Uh, also, the the line that is frequently used, um, so-and-so was out-coached. And I always kind of scratch my head at that, and I'm like, what constitutes being out-coached? Um, that, one, that one always gets me. I mean, are, are there times where it's pretty clear that you know somebody wasn't on their A game? I'll give you one, and, and, and I'm sure you've imparted this to other 
of your brethren that come off the field and end up getting into the broadcast booth. I think the most valuable piece of advice folks like you give to the next generation of broadcasters is, and it doesn't matter whether it's football, your sport, baseball, where your son was a first round pick, don't forget how difficult the game is. When you say that thing, because sometimes you sit up there and you're like, yeah, how did he, you know, why was his technique so poor here? Or, or you know, how did he drop that pass? Or or in baseball, you know, why, why did he, was his ground ball to short, man? Why did, how did he bobble that one, right? Yeah, yeah, it, it is. There's so many things that go through your mind as a player and so many things that you have to be accountable for. And you're right, the game is hard, man. Like, <laughs> I always tell, I always tell people, you know, Here's what separates most professional athletes from everybody else. One, God-given ability. And two, balls. And you got to have balls to play this game because the bottom line is you're going to get your ass kicked and you're going to get it kicked in front of people. And then you have to not tuck your tail and hide and run away from it. you got to pick yourself back up, dust yourself off, and go back out and continue to fight. And that's a hard thing to do. And... You know, all of us who have played have lost confidence, have gone through a slump, um, have had injuries and other things that have tried to derail us. And there are very few people in the world that, one, are gifted physically, but more importantly to me, are gifted mentally and are mentally tough enough to play the game. And um, and I have nothing but the utmost respect for all the guys who play, regardless of sport, um, and I can be as snarky as the next guy. But like I said, I, I really try to celebrate it. I try to celebrate the greatness of it. I try to celebrate the great plays and, and try to understand, you know, what goes wrong and why it goes wrong. And, um, and as long as you do that, I think people, people respect the fact that at least, you know, you're, you're doing justice or you're being a great ambassador to the game. Yeah, I mean, you, your homework is you know legendary because I know you, and and you just you know explained that, so that that trumps all the BS that that comes outside. I'll share something really quickly. I've done this before. Uh, my my dad, I remember when I was a little boy watching, uh, you know, growing up in New York, watching the Mets play or the or the Giants, and he and he told me he said, never forget the worst professional athlete is a great great player. And, you know, you know, it's, it's easy now, especially again with social media and everything else. Oh man, that guy's terrible. That guy stinks. No, guess what? They, they, he's, he's got like his Jersey retired in his high school gym in three different sports. So he doesn't stink. Right. I always liked the one I've gotten this one a couple of times. And, you know, when my son was pitching, he give up a homer or whatever, you know, what's going to happen. But one of the things that I got was, you know, your son is awful. He sucks. And I always responded with, I hope someday that you're, that you have a son that can suck as bad as my son sucked and you can watch him pitch in the major leagues because you will never know the joy that I feel of watching his accomplishments because mine are but garbage compared to his. Me trotting out as introducing as a starter in three Super Bowls doesn't even come close not, not even close it's not even in the same area code it's not even in the same country of watching my son trot out to throw a scoreless six inning against the Atlanta Braves for the first time and it's and that's you know that it's not even like I said it doesn't even compare yeah 
That's one of my favorite lines, by the way. Um, you're only as happy as your least happy kid, and you never have more pride in watching, uh, you know, watching your kid before before we kind of went on the air here. You, you know, Daniel's coaching in Western Michigan. He's a Bronco now, right? Just like that, and um, and, and you're going to see them in, in their opener. And and there's nothing, even as a coach, there's nothing that trumps that. I have one coaching. I got one still playing, and um, I get. I tell you what, I get far more nervous watching still than I did when I played. So, <laughs> yeah. Right, Amen. There ain't no, there's no question. And the funny thing is, is now that my son coach in Western Michigan, I get invested in the kid. You know, so like all his pictures, man, you get totally invested in those kids, and you just want to see them have success. And you know, I bumped into Eddie and Lisa McCaffrey at the Super Bowl at Radio Row last week, and I was just like, God bless you both, man. I just, I can't. Like, I can imagine, but I can't imagine, you know? I mean, this is where you guys are. And, you know, I've seen my son pitching the big leagues in, in playoff games and everything else. And it is, you know, it's gut-wrenching. Just absolutely gut-wrenching. So, Well, especially, Stink, especially as a pitcher. Like, as a father, uh, my, my kids were position players, right? So, but as a father like you of a pitcher, it's the worst. You let, like, like t- Eddie, Eddie and Lisa, you know, obviously CMC, he's on a Hall of Fame trajectory. But he, he put the ball on the ground, which is so unusual. He still ended up having a phenomenal football game, 80 rushing, 80 receiving. But there's the, you know, if he gets stuffed for a two-yard loss, okay, there's a there's another snap coming where you're living and dying with every pitch. And I mean, it's torture, right? Right. I always joked around. That when you sit in the family session, when, you know, when my son was pitching, you sit in the family session, I can point out 100% point out the starting pitcher's parents without ever meeting them, all the position players' parents, and all the bullpen parents. And I'll be 100% correct. And the, the funniest thing in the world is watching all the next crane around the fifth or sixth inning when guys start getting up in the bullpen because usually there it's you know, there's a like a a banner so you can't see through the fence and all you can see is the feet and i could pick out daniel's feet the way he walked his pigeon toes 100% of the time so i would be like fitting like, oh shoot he's up he's up he's up. how do you know look look at the feet oh yeah that's him you know and you could like in every parent the way they, the gate of the walk of their child, like it's, it is so funny to watch. Um, and you know, it's so funny that all the, all the position players, parents at popcorn and peanuts are eating a hot dog, drinking a beer and the starting parents, fit, they're down there just chewing their fingernails. Oh my gosh, here we go. It's funny to watch. It, it, it's really its own little show. Right. And, and I'll take it one step farther and I, and I, I'm not trying to be sexist here, but, by and large, as I, I experienced this, is ma, mama, as long as your kid is happy, she's okay. Where you, where, where guys, and again, I'm not trying to be sexist, we're like living and dying based on performance. <laughs> and, and, and it's just a different vibe typically. Yeah. Oh, there's no, there's no question. And, you know, I mean, I know so many fathers, um, like myself included at times, sometimes I'm better just walking up in the, on the concourse and watching it away from 
my family, you know, or if it just, oh, it's just, it's, it is, it's gut wrenching. It really is. So, um, it was, it was fun to be a part of it, but there's oftentimes I'm like, I always said, I just want my son to be on the big league team, but not actually have to play. That yeah. was, that would have been my, that would have been perfect for me as a parent. Hey, Stink, you'll love this one. One of my favorite lines I ever heard from a coach, uh, and this guy's passed on, uh, Sonny Dykes' dad, Spike Dykes. Remember West Texas through and through, coached at Texas Tech, had, had some success at Texas Tech, and we're sitting there, just like you were describing earlier, in one of those coaches' meetings. For us, it would be a Friday because Saturday, college football. And, and we're getting up ready to to leave, and he was so folksy. He's like, fellas, where are y'all going? I'm like, coach, you know, I'm sure you got stuff to do. We're just getting out of here. He goes, let me tell you a joke. He goes, you know, he goes, you know the two most popular uh, – Two most popular guys in America are, and I said, no, what do you got, coach? He goes, the weatherman, because he can come on Thursday night and tell you what the weather's going to be like Friday, be flat out wrong, and he's got a job Friday night. And and he said, and and the other guy, the most popular guy in the world is the backup quarterback. Backup quarterback, everybody wants a backup quarterback to play, but he gets to wear a baseball cap, and he never gets hit on the sideline. Best job in America. Yeah. I'm 100% with him. <laughs> it is awesome. Right, and his parents are the happiest in the stands too, right? Absolutely. Everybody wants him to play until he's asked to play. And you realize, oh, that's right. He's the best gift for a reason. Right. All right, let me let me get you out of here. A couple of quick ones. Russell Wilson is where in two months, four months, six months? Where is he? Uh, well, I can tell you he's not with the Broncos. Um, I could see him with Pittsburgh or I could see him with Atlanta. Those would be my two best best, best guesses. Okay, I don't know this individual, so I I am I don't want to say evaluating because he's he's been a great coach, but Sean Payton has not really endeared himself to Bronco country in his tendency to be, and I air quotes, the smartest guy in the room. Will we see a warmer, fuzzier Sean Payton in year two? No, I mean he's not the. Most popular guy in New Orleans after 15 years. Uh, Sean is notorious. Sean will, like, Sean will get your number and call you in the local media if you say something that he doesn't like or you're something that's just wrong and educates you in a very, uh, in a very stern fashion. So yeah, it's like one thing I really respect about Sean is he loves his players and he's hard and he coaches hard. Um, but he is about the players and I'll tell you a quick Sean story. Um, Sean and I have been buddies for a long time and I actually used to consult for the Saints a couple of times, um, during Sean's tenure there. And I'm over at, at training camp one day cause Daniel was pitching, um, against the New Orleans, uh, I guess baby cakes or Zephyrs or whatever they changed their names to. And so I was like, Oh, let's, you know, I'm going to go over to, to the facility. So, and, and see Sean. So I texted Sean and said, Hey man, I'm going to swing by. I'm in town. He goes, Oh yeah, come by. So training camp practice is about to kick off. You know, I'm there about a half hour earlier, whatever guys are starting to, to trickle out and warm up. So we're talking, we're going through some stuff. He goes, Hey, come here. I want to show you something. So everybody's on the practice field. He takes me through the facility. Hey, last year we redid the, you know, the training room where we redid, you know, where we have you know, cryo back and, and this, that, and the other. And then the year before that, we redid the spa and jacuzzi area. We got walk-in cold tubs and walk-in hot tubs. And then this year we redid the lock room. And every year 
when the players come back, I want them to see something that we did for them that's exciting to them. And, you know, and da, 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 da. you go up to the coaches' offices, and, and Drew, it's like something from that 70s show. They are dingy. It's the same carpet from the 70s. They haven't spent a penny up there redoing coaches' offices or meetings. All that stuff is just, it's awful. And he hasn't spent a penny on the coaches. It's all toward the players. Then we get on the field and practice about to start. And he goes, hey, man, I want you to be involved. He has this offensive line coaches over there. He goes, I want you to be involved. If you see anything you think we're doing incorrectly, stop practice and coach it up. Wow. And like, like you want to talk, a guy that, that everybody says he's got the biggest ego in the world, right? Oh, the guy is so egotistical. You stop it in front of the team if my coaches aren't coaching it right and coach it better. And, and then they invited me, they invited me into the offensive line meeting room. And this is before I started consulting. And this coach says, he introduces me to the whole offensive line and, um, you know, kind of gives my background and it says the same thing. If you see anything that I'm coaching wrong or you think my players aren't doing right, stop the meeting and coach them up. And so there was a couple things that, that I said, Hey man, you know, this is just from personal experience. I would, I would like to see you do it this way or see if think about this, you know, just give them something else to think about. And that's when they pulled me aside and, you know, they said, Hey, in this off season, I want you to come in and pick your brain about stuff. And, and then they flew me in and, and put me up for a couple of days and spent, you know, every day, eight hours a day, 10 hours a day going through football stuff, how you block things and, you know, and changing up some of the blocking schemes that they were using. Um, just a lot of stuff like that. And there's, there's absolutely, when it comes to that stuff, there is no ego. But he, one thing, Sean, Sean doesn't suffer fools. You ask him a dumb question, he's going to tell you a dumb question. So, uh, you know, that's just the way he operates. So he's not trying to win the approvals of, of people. He's trying to win football games. Stink Alex Gibbs was was a legendary O line coach, and and this is kind of picking up on what you said. I've never asked you this: can an can an O line coach make subtle difference, big difference, enormous difference? Um, from again, given you know you you are constricted by one's talent level, you would think. What what's your thought on that? Enormous difference. Most important coach in the building. Um. Because you think about it, you have five elevenths of the offense is yours. And if those five guys aren't doing their job, nobody can do their job. That's why it's always blown me away that we have overvalued the wide receiver position. Like to me, hey, 10 other guys have to do their job exceptionally well for you to sniff a football. How, how, how did you become so important all of a sudden? Um, they, they make an enormous difference. The other thing is, from a game planning standpoint and from a, a play calling standpoint, from calling an offense. So you think about the difference that uh, offensive line coach makes in understanding how difficult the position is and how difficult it is, you know, to, to pass for text and do those things. Those guys can make a world of difference by being in the ear of offensive coordinators. Like, who's standing up with Kyle when he's calling plays in that third quarter and saying, if you don't run the ball, I'm going to, you know, I'll, I'm going to punch you in the face. Like, that's the kind of conversations you'd have. You'd hear Alex Gibbs screaming at Mike Shanahan. 
I've seen Alice Gibbs walk out of the our offensive line meeting room, meet Mike Shanahan in the hallway, and MS him in the hallway, screaming match at him. It's just saying, I won't ask my guys to do that. It's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. And and I'm just going to ask them to do that. It's, it, it lacks integrity. We can't block it that way. And I mean, just go to town. And, you know, you, you have that guy that basically can set that up for you and can can basically help other people understand who call plays the difficulty. You know, I always say this. We're the, we're the like, it's the most testicle position on the football field. You know, everybody talks about skilled position. It's the most skilled position on the football field because every time you play, you're lined up from across from a guy that is a better athlete than you. And yet you are expected to win 100% of the battle. You know, my, my thought process is where else in sports do unlike athletes line up against one another and the guy who's the worst, ath- worst athlete is supposed to win 100% of the battles? Like, you don't pull – if Nikola Jokic gets caught in a switch and a guard blows by him and lays the ball up, you don't pull Nikola Jokic out and go, the guy's no good at defense. You know what? We need to find somebody else. No, you say, hey, man, they got us on a switch. But offensive line, I mean, I could kick your ass for 65 plays in a, way, in a row. I give up one sack on play 66, and I'm a piece of crap, and you go to the Pro Bowl. And, <laughs> and so that's, I mean, that's why it's the most difficult position, and that's why it's the most important position if all five of us have to be tied together. And I always said this. All five of us can be doing the wrong thing. As long as all five of us are doing the wrong thing tied together, the play is going to be okay. And, you know, that last play when San Francisco missed on third down and four in overtime, there was a bust in protection. Chris Jones came, affected the ball. That was a touchdown throw that wasn't made because the offensive line busted the protection. And that's, you know, that's how difficult that position is. And um, and a great offensive line coach is is the key to, to winning and losing in my mind. Yeah, love that description because typically the guys on the defensive line are you know are, are going to be more athletic and and that that is a very very fair and and obviously accurate uh, evaluation of what took place. I was I was kind of laughing when you're talking about uh, Alex Gibbs MF in uh, in the hallway Shanahan because we got a little of that on the field with with Kelsey you know chest bumping his head coach Andy Reid. That that one, you know what? Because I, I like Kelsey, and I and everybody loves Andy Reid, right? It didn't bother it didn't bother me that much. Am, am I am I in the right or wrong here that it didn't offend me that much? <laughs> You're 100 percent right. It offend me at all. I was just like, yeah, that's the way it works sometimes. Sometimes, you know, and it wasn't like he was he was just passionate about being in the game and you know and. And wanted to give his team the best chance to win. He swung around to yell at Andy Reid and accidentally bumped into him. And I thought there was a lot of people that I had. I had people tell me, "Well, he shoved him. He didn't. That, that was a chest bump. It was a shove." And 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 that, by the way, there's nobody that's played that hasn't been in that conversation, you know, or had a screaming match like that a hundred times. So it, that that part didn't bother me a bit. Hey, Stink. It's why. It's why I didn't like the fact that Russell Wilson didn't fire back at Sean Payton when he was getting undressed earlier this year. As a competitor, don't just wear that. 
Nobody's going to look at you differently. You can fire back. It's okay. Two guys passionate, two guys emotional. You're playing, you're trying to win a football game. That bothered me more that he didn't fire back. Me too. And you know what? Same thing happened the year before when, uh, is it Mike Purnell, the nose guard? Yeah, got Purcell. His face and screamed, Purcell, yeah. Mike Purcell screamed at him. And, you know, and, and I would rather see him fire back. I'd rather see him, you know, have some emotion and not be a robot. You know, everything is positive. I call it toxic positivity. Like, there's sometimes, like, I think Sean Payton would have a heck of a lot more respect for him. And I'm not saying he doesn't respect him, but I think he would have a lot more respect for him in that moment if he got right back in Sean's face and basically said, you know, up yours. You know, I mean, the, and, and I, that's, I think that's the way it's supposed to be. There's got to be, there's got to be some, you know, there's got to be some confrontation and there's got to be some, um, some disagreement and some, you know, and, and that's how you get understanding. And that's how, like the, the best thing a coach can do, the best thing about an organization is, is to understand everybody's issues. We all have, like all of us have different issues. They're real. And, you know, I've, I've always said this. I've talked to several coaches that I've, over the course of, of the last few years that I have consulted for different organizations. I said, you know, one day what you ought to do is one day in OTAs, it's one day. I said, have all your defensive guys go to the offensive meeting and stall through all that stuff and have all the offensive guys go to the defensive meetings and then go through the walkthrough practice and have them try to play those positions just so they understand some of the difficulties, like all the defensive linemen and offensive line stances and all the offensive linemen pass rushing against them, so they understand how difficult everybody's job is. And I think he would have so much more respect. And it was interesting because I've told several different organizations this, and then I'm doing a Pittsburgh game, and Mike Tomlin's got this drill going. I'm there on Friday, and it's running backs catching the ball out of the backfield and linebackers and safeties having to come up because they're a man coverage and having to break down and try to make the tackle. Now, they're not taking them to the ground, but just, you know, not get juked out of your socks, right? Yeah. And so they do it for like 10 minutes, 8 minutes, right? And it's great, and it's a feisty drill. And he goes, all right, switch it up. And then all of a sudden, it was the safeties and linebackers catching the ball and the running backs trying to get up there and make tackles. And it was so funny to watch you know, these guys and how much more the competitive juices started to flow. But all of a sudden, the running backs kind of getting the, oh, I see what kind of angle I can put a guy in. And the safeties and like, the, oh, okay, you know, I, I get the feel for what a guy's thinking as he's catching the ball. And you could really see that, like those guys going through those motions and going through that drill. And I just thought it was a brilliant drill. Because not only was it the guys were fired up and they were excited about it, but it really gave you a different perspective on the game. And I think that stuff is incredibly valuable. Yeah, it's interesting. That's fascinating. I'm big, you know, big Mike Tomlin fan. I don't know how you can't be if you're if you're an NFL coach. And and I remember you saying this about Herm Edwards many years ago, and, and Herm and, and eventually did go back into coaching. Now he's back in television. But you said if he asked me to be my own line coach, I'd I'd leave the business tomorrow just because he's you know kind of a leader of men. And I get that same feeling with Mike Tomlin. He's a guy that you'd want to play for. He's a guy that you'd want to coach for, Mark. Yeah, there's there's no question. There's a guy that, 
when you sit down with him, like he, like one, he is just a walking motivational tip sheet, you know, and just <laughs> everything he says is just like, wow, let me take that down. Wow. Let me take that down. Wow. That was really good. Wow. That was so insightful. And then he's like, Hey man, I'm going to give you everything you need. I'm going to tell you what we're doing, what we're thinking, all this stuff. Cause he goes, my feeling is I want you to have a great broadcast because if you're having a great broadcast, it means I'm having a great game. And I was just like, damn. And it's, it's unbelievable, man. He's one of my favorite people to sit down with, to talk to, to just kind of digest the game through. Um, the guy's incredible. Absolutely incredible. Yeah. You're the best, man. Hey, um, you, you're like 27 surgeries in front of me. I had, uh, I had a double quad rupture surgery about three weeks ago. So, um, I'm, I'm 19 days closer to a hundred percent. I was going to have you do the PT, but I opt, you know, I opted somewhere else. Yeah. Opted for a professional. I appreciate that. Cause I'd have done it wrong, but, um, I'll, I hope you get better. You're going to be ready for spring training. Uh, yeah. Cause I don't have to play. Um, in my, yeah, and my my yeah my my throat is is pretty good and my larynx is all right. So uh, yeah, I just uh, I move slower. But uh, all right, all good. All right, well, get healthy, my friend. I will, man. Send send my love to the family and uh, and uh, continued success. Always good catching up, brother. Yep, love you, my friend. Take care, buddy. Back at you. Love Stink. Uh, he's he's been a great friend through the years. He's a tremendous broadcaster. He's self-deprecating, but but I'm telling you what, Stink is one of the sharpest guys out there. And you know when he speaks on a variety of topics, not just football, I listen, and it's and it's usually a very well thought out. It's not usually; it always is a well a well thought out, well articulated position. And I had a blast the last. Uh, well, for two, for you, it was, it was one conversation for me and him, but uh, over two parts, uh, I had a blast uh, getting caught up with uh, with Stank and, and hearing his thoughts on uh, a number of different topics. And uh, his son's doing great, Daniel, by the way, uh, coaching at Western Michigan, which is awesome. So hope you enjoyed it. I'm sure you did. Next week, we're going to stay in the football mode. We're going to be talking baseball naturally because I'm heading to spring training. Uh, but we're going to stay in the football mode and flashback with Gary Barnett to yesteryear with the University of Colorado and take you uh, to where they are currently in year two under Coach Prime. That'll be next week uh, with Gary Barnett. That'll be fun as well. Stay safe. Stay well, everybody. We'll do it again in seven days. Tell your friends about our little show here. So long.